And now for something completely different. Welcome to Shout Out. Out of the closet and into your ears. Hello and welcome to Shout Out. I'm Ali Shilton. And I'm Steph Barnett with two T's. Today on the show... <laughs> uh, we talked to Susie Green. Struggling bringing up her trans daughter. There was only one place for her to turn. Mermaids. Uh, and of course it's Bristol Pride this Saturday. We've got a quick run through for you. What and when. Uh, all today right here on Shout Out with Steph with two T's. No one. Bum. Sorry. We thought we'd keep it in abeyance I was for young. pride. Mike live. Say we assume. I'm here. Oh. How Mr. Chips? Where's, where's Mr. Chips gone? Oh, I thought you said, Where's me chips? As I didn't no. know I said, Oh, no, Mr. Chips. Mr. Chips, say what you see. Oh, oh come on, catchphrase. It's got to be Showing your age now. Well, no, it's been on, it's still on TV, isn't it? I don't know. Catchphrase, don't yes. think so. Well, I, thought, I thought it was. I rerun, rerun. No, no, rerun no. show on the challenge well, station the, on Freeview. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I thought, I thought everyone did. was on Dave. I don't watch that. Oh, Dave shows a lot of reruns as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I don't watch that real TV. Oh, All of mine hasn't got any adverts. <laughs> a anyway, are we all excited for Pride? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. A little bit? I'm actually, yeah. Oh, just a little bit. Now, uh, it could all change in the next couple of days, but at the moment you might need a brolly for the March. Mm. Yes. Um, it's, it's due to rain in the morning till about midday, but it's only it's, it says it was at forty six percent earlier when I looked, and mm-hmm. it has changed because there was a point at the beginning of the week that said it was going to rain all day, yeah. and that's now not looking likely. Yeah. So, um, it's, it's a okay. shame I've it's got not my tomorrow. umbrella hat. Steph's got her umbrella hat. We're going to look You've got funky. Umbrella hats. Yeah. They those they look like it's like a headband that goes around you with an umbrella. Yeah, off basically. It. Yeah. <laughs> Steph said buy it. I was umming and ahhing, and I just went for it. She's like, we'll look hot. I was like, okay. Well, that's good. Is that right, Steph? No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> just just go along with everything I say. Your life will be so much easier. Oh, yeah. <laughs> take, take a rainbow umbrella. That would be a brilliant We've got idea. one of them. Yeah. Have yeah. one, the and we're taking that. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a Van Gogh umbrella. We'll be absolutely fine. Anyway, we'll talk a lot more about Pride late, later we on the will. show. We've got um, a, a jam pack. We've got a double feature, yeah. um, d- double length one today, haven't we? Yep, um, Susie Green. To Susie yes. Green. So, uh, yeah, have a listen to this. I don't think that any of you out there uh, that listen to Shout Out regularly will not have heard of a very famous organisation called Mermaids. And one of the people that were really, really big in that organisation is Susie Green. Uh, Susie, welcome to Shout Out. Hey, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. And let's go back to the days when you actually joined Mermaids. What was the push? What what actually got you involved with the organisation in the first place? I remember searching on the internet um, for, I put in, it was Ask Jeeves, I think, which really dates me, I'm afraid. But um, I remember doing an online search and I typed in to Ask Jeeves, my son wants to be a girl. And this is, wow, she was six. So this is like 24 years ago. And so a long time ago. And 
the reason I got involved with Mermaid is because it was one of the only websites that came up. There were about four. Um, this is when modems like pinged and hissed when you connected to the internet. So again, showing my age here. But uh, but yeah, I was I was desperate for some support and some direction and some help. My my kid had told me when she was four that God had made a mistake and that she should have been a girl. And I kind of blanked it really and said, oh, no, it's fine to be fine to be a boy and like girl things. And, you know, that doesn't make you a girl. But she just kept telling me that that's who she was, that she was a girl. She should have been a girl. She, you know, she wanted to go to sleep and wake up a girl. And when she was six, she asked me when she could get the operation. She'd spoken to her older cousin who told her there was an operation that could make you into a girl in obviously like kids speak, very simplistic terms. But she asked me, she was in the back of the car and she asked me what when she could have the operation she was so excited and she was utterly devastated when I told her that actually you know you have to be a grown-up for that and that you know she still felt the same when she was a grown-up then that's what she could do but it kind of made me realize that just ignoring this wasn't making it go away so that's when I did that internet search and as I say mermaids was it was the only one that dealt really with trans youth um young people children and also the one with a phone number and I remember making a call and I spoke to one of the founder members and I was on the phone for about 45 minutes and I just remember this immense feeling of, of relief that somebody understood and and could could you know was empathic and could understand what I was talking about and could say to me that there were other kids like Jackie out there in fact the lady that I spoke to her daughter was then 17 and had been not not totally similar because look I've you know everybody's unique but <clears throat> she said that she, you know she remembered her child saying to her from from like three four years old um that she was really a girl that she and so she then talked me through the options in terms of where I could get additional support from which was the Tavistock gender identity service she then talked me through joining the online support group that mermaids had which was a yahoo group at the time and I think there were only about 35 of us on that group and for me I think I cried for half the half that conversation because I was just so overwhelmed and it took it took quite a lot of courage to like pick up the phone and realize that I had to do something other than just keep ignoring my kid. And I'm really glad I did. But I also look back and I wish I hadn't given her two years of no, this isn't this isn't real before I actually picked up the phone and acknowledged that I needed some help. Mm. How did that affect your child? Did that give them a lift knowing that things could go forward, albeit not at the, the, the rate that they would like? I think it helped it helped her because then I was able to talk to her about the fact that there were other people like her that she wasn't on her own and that there wasn't anything and also what I did then at that point is I then went back to my I went to my GP when she was four when she told me that God had made a mistake and she should have been a girl and I went to my GP and I said what do I do and the GP said oh it's a phase she's you know it'll it's it'll go away um well it's not obviously um but it was that bit where you go okay so what am I gonna do 
next when she said it's the phase and I was like okay so I just wait for I wait for her to um I was using different pronouns then but I just can't do it um I wait for I wait for her to grow out of this and then she just wasn't and wasn't and wasn't so I went back to my GP with the information that I got from mermaids and said I need a referral to the gender identity service the Tavistock gender identity service is based was based in London then that was the only the only um site that they had and then my GP then referred me to the local mental health service with Jackie and I was really lucky that when we went for that first appointment the guy that we saw had actually worked at the Tavistock for 18 months prior to to moving back to where where we lived at that time and he was the first person apart from the lady that I spoke to at Mermaids who told me that it wasn't my fault that allowing my kid to express themselves and not policing their choice of toys etc was the right thing to do and that you know she might grow out of it but she might not Mm. so that was a huge relief as well and then they referred us on to the Tavistock and she started being seen about 10 weeks later so like a very different situation to what's currently happening. How was the school years for for Jackie and and of course yourself? Um, Primary school the Tavistock were sort of very clear at that point that social transition which is obviously where you come out and you might change your gender expression you might change pronouns you might change the way that you present in terms of what you wear and how you um you know maybe um, clothes that you wear hair length whatever um they said that I had to keep her I could allow her her gender expression as a girl at home but that I should really keep her in the outside world as as a boy and that I think I stopped that just as she was coming up to her last years of primary school because she was school refusing. The kids all knew anyway because she she was very open um, that she was really a girl. And she got bullied for it, but she wasn't allowed to express herself as a girl. And I think I I look back at it and again, I think if I had the time again, I would do it differently because I listened to what the Tavistock was saying to me, but actually a social transition as soon as she she made a social transition and was able to live as herself. Her school um, attendance increased. She had less of the stomach aches and feeling sick and anxiety. Um, and her last year in primary school was actually really good. Um, you know, apart from the mum who sat in her car outside of the primary school and shouted out the window that she was a freak. Um, we had to contact the police for that. She literally hang out the window and shouted at my 10-year-old kid that she was an effing freak as she walked past. And, you know, I heard kids discussing the fact that Jackie was going to have a sex change when she was older. You know, um, it was, it was, it was not the best, but the last year of primary school when she was allowed to, to be herself was probably the best year that she had of school. But then when she went up into secondary school, it was horrific, absolutely horrific, like literally from the first day. She was sat in a class. Um, the form tutor wasn't in there. She was like long hair. You know, she looked she looked like a girl. And um, uh, year 11, a uh, boy came to the door, leaned in and just said, 
where's the freak? Point the freak out. And that's kind of an indication of the sort of stuff that she had in secondary school. I had to pull her out several times. She was miserable, but she was attacked, you know, physically attacked, verbally assaulted. One guy spat full in her face. Um, She had a group of guys try to lift a skirt up on the way home from school. In the end, we we took her out of school and I tried homeschooling her, but it was really difficult because I was obviously a single parent with four little kids. But also she was bored at home. She didn't want to be at home. So in the end, the education welfare officer that I was working with as closely as I could said, you know, that they had a place where kids who had experienced trauma and or like were hospitalized or previously maybe with things like cancer, et cetera, where they couldn't couldn't attend a mainstream school, we got her a place in the centre of Leeds. And that was sort of like the last couple of years of her school years were there. But I regret not taking her out earlier. And I regret the fact that she she hid a lot of the abuse from me because she didn't want to hurt me. And she didn't want to burden me with the things that were happening to her. But at the same time, you know, suicide attempts, self-harm, you know, she lived through all of that. It was it was horrible, to be honest, absolutely horrible. Is that what spurred you to actually join Mermaids? Well, I joined because I needed support when she was six and I didn't know what to do. But I suppose I got more involved over the years as I saw what was actually happening to, to trans kids and trans children and young people when I saw the the way that they were treated in society, when I saw the impact on somebody that I, I obviously loved, when I saw all of that, you know, I I thought this this can't, I need to do something. I need to do something to help my kid anyway, but also how many other people are dealing with this? How many other people have got kids? How many other young people are, you know, afraid to go into school? How many kids have been pulled out of school because of bullying so extreme? So that's how over time I I got more and more involved. So I joined the parents group, which was tiny to start with. Um, There was a helpline. There was a number. Obviously, that's the number that I called in the first instance. And I did some of the like the covering of the answering the calls, etc. And we used Skype back then. And you could only have one person at a time on it. And it was very limited, but it did what we needed for very small numbers of, of queries and mermaids itself wasn't very well known. Nobody really knew much about it. It was often like word of mouth or people who attended the Tavistock Clinic because mermaids itself came into being because um, Domenico de Celi, who was the director um, back then, um, all those years ago, he suggested to a number of parents who were attending the Tavistock with their kids that they create a support group. And that's how mermaids came into existence because of you know, because of the Tavistock, which is why I then got that information to take um, Jackie to them. And then as far as like over the years, I became a trustee. Um, gosh, must be like 14 years ago ish. Can't remember. And then I became chair. And it was while I was chair that I started to realize that uh, we improved our website. I, I, uh, did a new website, updated the website from what we had before. Um, we started to notice numbers going up in terms of families and young people, you know, connecting with us and 
and talking to us we kept getting asked to do like talks and deliver training and stuff to organizations who wanted to support trans kids so I recognized the fact that there was a need and then I we got a little bit of money in and I put some tech in to to count how many calls you know the percentage of calls that we were actually answering because we didn't really have any way of doing that I put that tech in and realized we were answering seven percent between seven and nine percent of calls and that to me just felt unacceptable because I remembered what it was like to try and pluck up the courage to pick up that phone in the first instance and what and what that felt to me to then get an answer phone message and you know not not be able to speak to a real person I felt I felt we either needed to change ourselves from being this small, completely voluntary-led organisation to a proper, you know, charity with paid employees, volunteer programmes, you know, recruitment and and retention, etc. Or we needed to stop because we were saying we were doing stuff and actually we weren't. And it were, it felt like we either needed to to make a step change or we needed to step back and I spoke to the board at the time um, of which I was chair and said that I felt we needed to do this <clears throat> so then that was that was kind of my job from sort of 2014 onwards to change us from an unincorporated totally voluntary led charity into one with more structure and starting to look at funding and getting money in to pay for staff to be able to deliver consistent services, better services as well. So I sort of managed that step change between 2014 and the beginning of 2016 when I became the first employee as um, the first the CEO of Mermaids. I think we had about four months of money in the bank to pay my salary at the time. And we had um, and I left my job of like 15 years at Leeds Citizens Advice Bureau to take that leap of faith. And I just remember being terrified of it, but also recognizing that nobody else was going to do it. So I did. So, And that's how Mermaids moved into being a more structured charity and then from that point onwards from 2016 onwards that sort of then we just changed and grew into the organization that it is now shout out lgbt radio for you the shout out podcast that's a nice remix of that one isn't it that's a night night cool Ah, okay, I was going to ask what it was. It's by there London Grammar, and that's a Freemasons Pegasus remix. Oh, London remix. Grammar, not had them for a while. Mm. One of Steph's ones. It's, it's, a, it's a trans anthem, that one. Oh, if you listen it? to the words carefully. Oh, okay, I will Google, Google, Google. Always room for a few anthems. Always. We need them more than ever. Yeah. Yeah. I'm loving the Padam. Madonna's Padam, oh, Padam. Yeah. Kylie's. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Kylie. Yeah. <laughs> Although I, I actually said Madonna the other day, but meant Kylie. I've been listening to all the remixes um, on Apple Music. My goodness, some of them are just 
flipping brilliant. Are they? The one released by Kylie's out, uh, label is so good. Um, I thought it was um, like a remix by another producer or whatever you call it. I don't know. I don't know the lingo, but it were really good. <laughs> and I, I played it to you, didn't I, earlier? You Steph? did. And you're I'm like, waiting. Who, re- who well, remixed that? I was like, I don't know. Oh, it was Kylie. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for a Seventh Heaven remix. Yeah, no. but um, I love it. I don't it. know that they're remixing anymore, are they, Seventh Heaven? I don't know. Maybe um, not. They did in the 90s and noughties. Yeah, I hope they are. We'll have yeah, to Google you, you that as you well. Hope they are, do you? Yeah, she hopes they are. Know. She I really like. Do. She's so looking forward to Googling that. Corp blimey, corp blimey. So, in case you can, can't tell, Ez has had a lot of caffeine and sugary sweets so far today. Um, just in case you're wondering. Not enough. So. Not enough. Um, not enough. Uh, not hopefully, enough. hopefully, not enough to stop you from doing the news. So. Oh no! Shall never. we? Yes. <laughs> This is Shoutout News. Local media in Bristol reports that a picnic on Castle Park organised by Trans Pride South West was shot at by youths brandishing a fast calibre BB gun. Avon and Somerset Police attended at around 3pm on Sunday afternoon and talked to organisers to gather evidence. There was fortunately no serious injuries but many were shaken by the experience. Chief Inspector Stephanie McKenna said we take hate crime very seriously and will not tolerate it. No one should have to put up with offences like this or face discrimination or prejudice just for being themselves. We've made contact with the organisers of Bristol Pride to keep them updated on our investigation and we encourage anyone who has been a victim of hate crime to report it. As with all large events, officers will be in Bristol this weekend to keep the community safe and if anyone has any concerns, please stop and speak to one of our officers who will be happy to help. The Bristol Post newspaper said that a report had found there to have been a 400% increase in the the use of Sorry, in the trans issues to generate public debate in newspapers between 2009 and 2019. Many campaigners noted that the right-wing newspapers were largely responsible for the culture war which culminates in real-time violence. And in breaking news, a press release from Avon and Somerset Police reveals that a teenage boy has now been arrested as part of an ongoing investigation into the incident. The 14-year-old boy is in custody after being arrested in connection, an incident which gel pellets were fired and we spoke to Kaz Self from Transpride Southwest and Martin Rees, Mayor of Bristol. So my name's Kaz from Transpride Southwest and we were having a picnic in Castle Park as part of the Bristol Pride celebrations. Just sat down in the park yesterday and all of a sudden uh, noticed that I was being shot at by uh, some people with a ball uh, BB gun. I could feel the pellets hitting me and it quite disturbing really didn't know what was going on well i know no details uh yet uh, and i'm gonna try and find out what's going on i'll be talking to the police and my team uh but pride is a bristol uh first of all um it's a statement about who we are what we want to be and it's to be an inclusive city um in which everyone can live their full authentic uh lives um and we stand against anyone who would stand against that uh, set of values, and we stand with the, the community right now. Marvin Rees, the Mayor of Bristol. The BBC News Channel estimates that around one million people turned out for Pride in London last weekend, either to watch or participate. Pink News notes that it was a day of politics and protest, as the pressing issues of the community made themselves known. 
For 17 minutes, an LGBTQIA contingent of the ecological protest group Just Stop Oil sat down in front of floats to draw attention to the fact that LGBT plus people and other minorities are the first to suffer from the unravelling of democracy which is threatened by climate change. Many LGBTQ plus observers of the march agreed with them, but some said that the sit-down was not the right tactic at this time. One political commentator noted that there should be more solidarity between Pride and Just Stop Oil, given that the enemies of both are the right-wing newspapers and fascist groups. Another sit-down also took place outside Uganda House, organised by the Peter Tatchell Foundation, alongside the African Equality Foundation and Out and Proud Africa. They called on the UK Parliament to impose travel bans and seize international assets of Ugandan MPs who back a fundamentalist bill that criminalises all aspects of non-heterosexual existence. Gay Ugandan Abi Kiwanuka said politicians... Uh, in Uganda scapegoat LGBTIs and use homosexuality as a pretext to divert people from questioning their failed policies. It's high time Ugandans woke up and realised that homosexuality is not the cause of their suffering. The problem is the rotten, corrupt system. Left-wing LGBTQ plus network Lesbians and Gays Support the Migrants held banners that criticised the participation in the march of the police and the LGBT plus network for Parliament. Pride is a protest. Pride is a chance to be camp and joyful. It is not a free pass for corrupt organisations, the group wrote in a tweet. And finally, it was gratifying for community groups that, to note that the usual gaggle of religious extremists protesting against Pride itself were tiny this year. The contingents of LGBTQIA plus humanists, LGBT plus Christians and other groups clearly dwarfed the fundamentalists whose megaphones were drowned out by the cheering Pride crowd. And the far-right-wing newspaper, sorry, newspaper, the Daily Telegraph, which over the years has been fixated in its opposition to homosexuality and more recently transgender people, has been told by some LGBTQI plus Twitter commentators to mind its own business and quit hijacking queer literature for what has been described as its hate-filled agenda. The paper, which in 1988 bizarrely gave column inches to the far-right myth that there is an international homosexual conspiracy, attacked contemporary academics who had warned that some of the writings of the earlier 20th century writer Virginia Woolf could be triggering for modern readers. But as many LGBTQI plus literature fans noted, Woolf would have been the first to reflect on her own work in this way. In addition, Virginia Woolf was a bisexual hero who enjoyed relationships with men and women throughout her life and was a member of circles such as Bloomsbury Group and close to Rupert Brooke's neo-pagans, both of which pursued interests in socialism, vegetarianism, sexual liberty and nudity, among others. In other words, Woolf was a staunch opponent of the politics of the Daily Telegraph. Progressive American newswire Alternet reports in a ruling welcomed by anti-fascists, a judge in Washington, D.C. has ordered five members of the anti-black and anti-gay extremist group The Proud Boys to pay more than $1 million to a majority black progressive Episcopal church whose property they attacked with the connivance of a corrupt policeman. Under the, after the decision, sorry, Arthur Ago, the attorney representing the church, said the goal of this lawsuit was not monetary windfall, but to stop the Proud Boys from being able to act with impunity, without fear of consequence for their actions. And that's exactly what we achieved. The Jewish Chronicle newspaper examines the marriage of the far right, neo-Nazis, anti-gays, zeolists and conspiracy theory weirdos in a toxic internet that threatens the enlightenment and democracy. Julia Edner's new book, Going Mainstream, How Extremists Are Taking 
taking over has just been published and its urgent message is the culmination of years in which Ebner went undercover to explore thousands of fascist and conspiracy and conspirational internet groups and political parties. She says, My undercover investigations brought me to the inside of neo-Nazi groups, QAnon conspiracy theorists, US Capitol rioters, violent misogynists and radical anti-LGBTQ activists. Many find common ground in overt or covert anti-Semitism. There is no clear profile for people who spread extremist ideas anymore. Anti-minority and anti-democracy movements are recruiting from left, right and centre. What has happened? Ebner documents three broad trends, including the exploration of grievances and crisis narratives fusions of old and new conspiracies, some of them dating from the Middle Ages and social media amplifications. Her book is out now, and if you want to get a copy, consider purchasing from an LGBTQI plus independent or progressive bookstore where money goes back into the community. An exciting press release comes our way from the excellent network Muslims for Progressive Values in the US. They say... We've created a new project in order to fill the gap and do the work for the queer Muslim community, seeking mental health care from providers that are both Muslim and LGBTQ affirming. The project seeks to address the unique needs of folks from intersectional identities who are struggling to find a mental health provider who can validate and honour both our identity as a Muslim and as a member of the LGBTQ plus community. Too often we hear stories from queer Muslims that they must hide their identity because they are Muslim. For more information, visit MPV online. We'll put a link up on our news feed. Attitude Magazine and Queerly Radio are two LGBTQI media reporting on the exciting news that UK Black Pride is taking place once again at Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park for its annual celebration and protest. The date to put in your calendars is Sunday 20th of August. UK Black Pride, the world's largest pride celebration for LGBTQI plus people of African, Asian, Caribbean, Latin American and Middle Eastern descent, expects more than 30,000 people to attend the event. UK Black Pride announced the legacy theme on Instagram Instagram on Wednesday. Legacy symbolises 18 years of awe-inspiring progress. The Post announced it pays homage to the giants who've paved the way for us and embraces the responsibility of empowering future generations to take ownership and fiercely push for change. The Post also urged people get ready for the most vibrant, energetic and meaningful Pride event of the year. For further information on the inspirational event, visit www.ukblackpride.org.uk. And finally, in Bristol, the organisers of the hugely successful Pride Comic Arts Festival, which takes place each September and celebrates the independent queer comic sector, is launching a fundraiser to cover rising costs associated with the event. The newspaper B427 takes up the story, saying that the that founded by Chris Locke and Nathan J. Adam, Pride Comic Arts Festival provides queer artists, writers and creators a dedicated space to platform and celebrate their work in a safe and supported environment. Fees have gone up a lot in 2023, Nathan and Chris wrote. Our chosen venue has had to make changes to its fees, which takes a lot from our budget. They are also a charity and we want to continue to support more Green Roots generate organisations compared to moving to a corporate-run event space. <clears throat> to make a donation, visit PrideCalf's fundraising page at Crowdfunder. The festival is free to attend and will run from 11 until 5pm on September the 23rd at the station in the city centre. For more information, visit pridecalf.co.uk. For Shout Out News, this has been Ezra Peregrine and Terry Starr. <laughs> Shout out. LGBT Radio for you. 
right, here comes the second part of uh, our interview with Susie Green. Now, you moved on from Mermaids and you're involved with Gender D, uh, GP. So what does that involve now, Susie? So I joined Gender GP at the beginning of this year. Um, one of the things that has been a constant source of frustration for me over the years is that mermaids always had restrictions about what we could do about gender affirming healthcare. So we could recommend sources into, you know, including the NHS. Um, and there were other private options prior to sort of like 2018, 19. But, um, Gender GP was one of the organisations that from sort of 2015, 16 onwards that we would reference, you know, and and they were on our website, you know, links to. Um, and obviously that was run by Helen Webley. And I remember meeting Helen for a coffee um, when she said that she, you know, wanted to expand the trans healthcare that she was providing to adults to, to include young people. And I remember saying to her at the time that the establishment was going to come for her. And she asked me why I thought that. And it, I said to her, it's because I've seen it happen before. I'd seen it happen with Russell Reed. Um, and I also saw it happen with Richard Curtis. And, you know, lo and behold, a few years after that, she there started to be GMC complaints, ne not from a single patient, by the way, not from a single patient, but complaints from other clinicians in NHS and private healthcare who supported trans people complaining about the care that gender GP gave specifically to young people. So from sort of 2019 onwards, because Helen was um, suspended and her husband was um, uh, struck off from the GMC based on those complaints, you know, she then moved the company offshore so that she could continue to I think at that point she had over 2000 patients so she didn't want to let them down but we couldn't recommend to a non-UK based company so we had to stop referencing gender GP at that point but and referencing the NHS but unfortunately the NHS healthcare services for trans young people have been going in one direction only and that is like very very long waiting times very long consultation periods really inconsistent um provision of care and it depended whether or not they got somebody who was gender affirmative or not as to whether or not they'd have somebody that constantly challenged them to prove they were trans enough or whether they were supported and you know it was really frustrating for me to know that we could only point to NHS services when actually I knew that the waiting list was probably four years and by the time their kid got into service a lot of them would have timed out into adult services. And unfortunately, it's worse now than it was. So after I exited Mermaids at the end of, of 2022, Helen Webberley was one of the first people who reached out to me and said, look, you know, you've got years of activism left in you. And now, you know, you can you can do something that actually directly supports young people. So come and come and work for Gender GP. So we had a few conversations over the course of the next few weeks and months. Um, and then I joined at the beginning of 2023. And one of the things that I feel most passionate about is that everybody should have access to timely, affirmative health care for, for, you know, for trans people. But that's not the reality. It's not the reality here in the UK. And it's not the reality in a lot of places globally as well. 
So I kind of feel like my work with Gender GP, I work a lot with the community. I talk to Facebook groups. So, you know, I've, I've obviously got a lot of experience in networking over the 20 odd years that I've been doing what I do. And I feed back about the things that the community are saying, the things that they would like to see improved. And one of the first jobs that I got when I came into Gender GP was acknowledging the fact that some people can't afford it. They can't afford private health care. So I set up the fund, which is what I'm currently working on mainly. And that is for people to access. They can apply to the fund to access their health care through Gender GP. Um, unfortunately, you know, there's there's not enough money to be able to support everybody so it is on a needs basis um and we're waiting i'm currently in the process of setting up mechanisms for the fund for the young people um because we started with a youth fund um hopefully within the next couple of months we'll be able to accept applications um from families i think it young was people um, under 18 when you we were you were talking about um Tavistock and that and it was being disbanded uh closed down split up the the government just wanted to get rid of it i think and and show no support at all to the trans youth community um it was quite poignant i think that the irish government made a statement to say that they would still use the Tavistock because they saw so much more positive coming from the Tavistock than any negative i think as well as that if you talk to to people who accessed healthcare through the Tavistock, who actually went through services and were supported, you know, by affirmative clinicians, they, they've had really good outcomes. But obviously, the history of the Tavistock is also, you know, you had the, the Bell case at the end of, of uh, 2020, where Kira Bell, with the help of Paul Conrath, who is like a well-known anti-abortion rights lawyer, as well as as sort of trying to campaign against trans rights brought a case against the Tavistock for providing gender affirmative care to Kira um, and they managed to actually get it those judges ruled that no young person would be able to access gender affirmative care without a court order which was devastating I, I remember just it was it was awful we had parents and young people contacting us in so much distress i mean to be honest i i got the you know the decision back and i couldn't believe it i couldn't believe it that those judges had basically run through gillick competency totally just because it was trans kids mm. so that also caused a massive issue with the provision of nhs healthcare. and then nhs england came out within two hours of that judgment landing and just suspended all access to medical care and i knew you know, so many families whose kids were just on the cusp of getting blockers or were in the process of going through that assessment process to get blockers. And suddenly that was it. It was just like nothing. You have nothing now. And we also don't know how you're going to get a court order. We don't know how we're going to process this. We don't know what we're going to do. Um, sorry, that, that seemed to be, you know, the only response to it. And even though that judgment was overturned um, and the appeal judges actually said, why on earth would a judge say that a court has any part in a medical process? The implications and what happened during that period of time still held on. And, you know, yeah, I, I talk to people who've had the best experience with the Tavistock, but I also talk to people who've not. So it's it's very, it's mixed. Um, 
but then when you look at what's happened with the government getting involved and closing the service down you look at the impact that had on people i mean obviously they're still running at the moment but they don't know how long for i can't imagine what it must feel to be a clinician within that service and have this total uncertainty hanging over your head the new hubs that they were promising we obviously haven't seen any of that come through but then the other thing that is hugely concerning is the new nhs service specification that has come out about what care is going to be provided by those hubs because I mean, that service specification came out and then it was roundly, um, you know, it was, it came out and so many organisations. So the World Professional Association of Transgender Health, who are the global authority, condemned the new NHS service specification and said, this is not evidence based. This is not based around um, what is best for trans young people. And you know the just just the point that young people have to be part of a study a research study to get blockers it's unethical it means that people have no choice and you shouldn't have you should have a choice as to whether or not you take part in a research study but they've taken that autonomy away the fact that they talk about um social transition as a potential issue or as a they talk about it as as being not a neutral option and reference it as being a potential causing potential harm the fact that they threaten people with social services if they go private, all of it is, all of it is deeply flawed and um, very worrying. It is very worrying, considering the links with um, the uh, Irish health service that have with the uh, UK service. Is there any way that the the system could move to Southern Ireland? Honestly, I, I don't know. Um, Obviously, we're waiting to see more about whether or not these hubs come out. The service specification is appalling. And I think families, I mean, there's 8,000 young people on a waiting list now. 8,000 young people. It's going to take years before those young people get access to any any kind of care. Um, I don't know. I don't know what 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 are the alternatives. Obviously, one of the alternatives is is gender GP, but... You know, you have to pay for it or you apply to the fund and we have limited um, amounts of money in the fund. So, you know, one of the things that I'm uh, tasked with is trying to get donations in so that we can help as many young people as we possibly can. Susie, we're running fast out of time. So um, <laughs> if people want to get in touch with Gender GP, the website, social media and that, so they've got a lifeline. Um, can you give me those details? So, yeah, so if they want to get in touch with Gender GP, I mean, it's just gendergp.com. So go on the website. The, there's a link to the fund from the very front page. So if you want to support the fund and support young people getting access to healthcare who can't otherwise afford it, um, please do go there, donate. And if you want to find anything out about the, the processes, what's involved with Gender GP, there's so much information on that website. But you can also follow us on We've got socials on uh, Twitter, Facebook, et cetera. Just search for Gender GP and you'll find us and follow us. And we put loads of information out there that's really useful. We do blogs, we do um, uh, podcasts, we put information out that comes in from, you know, globally because we're now a global company. So all of that information is out there. Go find us, follow us, uh, support us if you can, um, because at the moment, that is the only alternative for young people in this country, which is 
a really sad state of affairs. But it also not only just gives a lifeline, it gives hope to those people listening to this who might feel alone. Yeah, definitely. There's a community. There's a community of people out there, you know, uh, trans people of all ages, including, you know, as I say, young people. And Gender GP is part of the support for those people. We're here to to provide as much support as we can in the midst of a pretty hostile environment. But, you know, we should be celebrating. We should be celebrating trans joy. We should be celebrating the fact that when you get to be yourself, that, you know, that alleviates so much, so much stress and anxiety and depression um but unfortunately we're also dealing with a really hostile environment particularly against trans kids and and trans women so plug yourself into a community that's what i'm here for yeah susie green thank you for joining us here on show tight absolute pleasure thank you for inviting me for more information about shout out radio visit us online at shoutoutradio.lgbt shout out lgbt radio for you the Shout Out Podcast. The lovely Kylie and Padam Padam. I thought I'd thought get you. I know I played this the other week as well, but it's such a banging track. Oh, it one. really is. I, don't, I think this is one that's going to be around a long time. Yeah. Pride's coming in a couple of days. It's like, did, did you see? Uh, they they did a, like you could learn the moves for this. I did. And then they did it at London Pride on the, on the march. And it there were so thousands good. of people with blue fans, you know, the, the hand fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do, doing this dance. It was absolutely amazing. If you haven't seen it, go look it up. I think it's on Twitter. It is, yeah, and, and YouTube. And Instagram and YouTube. It's everywhere. Too. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and, she's um, also a huge ally to the um, LGBT car plus community. Oh, she's so. she's a she's what they call a gay icon. She is know? a gay icon. Absolute gay icon. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very loved. Like, like me. Queen Kylie. Like, <laughs> like, me. like you. It's always about you, and it's Stephanie yeah. Bonet. Gay really icon. Extraordinary. <laughs> with two T's. Yeah. And, um, and two F's. And Madonna with two D's. <laughs> two F's. She's she's a Double bit of a gay icon. Madonna. Do you know that one game? Uh, newspaper used to refer to her not as Madonna just as our glorious leader I oh. said it all really didn't I I love that she's not brought anything out for a little while has she no. she has, she's been ill recently yeah. hasn't she yeah. she's oh, in the hospital she? yeah, yeah she was due to, she, I, I can't remember but yeah you're right she's in the hospital she, she was due oh. to be doing something before, yeah. Before yeah she had to cut short a tour and, or something um, yeah, oh, sorry she, to she had to cancel get so. well soon um, but yeah, I mean, uh, Kylie's 55 or 56 years old, and, and you wouldn't know it to look at her. And still performing and still looking stunning. And Yeah. Oh, if we could have her at Bristol Bride. I, I was just imagine? thinking that, yeah. Next year, Darren. I think Kylie has done Prides before. Oh, I think, yes. Not, yes. not, not Bristol, so. Yeah, I think, I think she does. Want, I think she's more likely to do the ones in Australia, isn't she? Yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. I, th- I, think, I don't think Bristol Pride would be able to afford her. I no, she is. <laughs> must be very expensive i guess if alid is listening we could close down the drag stage and have only half of the performers just so you could have an hour of kylie (laughs) (laughs) i just want padam on repeat yeah yeah i don't i don't think boogaloo stew is there this year because i i i was thinking he could have got them all to do the padam padam dance because you know he yes, always gets he the audience was, going, doesn't he? It was the Copacabana so, last year, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> well, Alid's going to be on the main stage for a little bit. Oh, so is he? we get him to do it because he, well, he loves Padam Padam. Padam Padam Padam. Is he uh, presenting? I think so. He's doing a little ah. bit. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, along with Downsy, um, who. Um, Brilliant. 
Um, <coughs> yeah, he's, he's comparing most of the day. And we've now yeah. had a replacement, haven't we, for the um, artist that had to back out? Oh, have we? Do you know who? Yes, and my mind's gone completely <laughs> black. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Google, uh, Steph, well, you've I had tell, a replacement. I tell, I tell, tell you what, when we have a replacement, you can post it on our new thread that we're on, aren't we? Have we're on seen? threads. We're on threads, yes. along with 30 million others. Yeah, yeah. Just not, not that we're million. not on. This is a new interweb platform. It's thing. like Twitter. It is, yeah. Have you, have you heard of it, Terry? It's it's from. Um, you know, in my generation, Threads was a BBC horror film about nuclear war in Sheffield. Oh, right. Okay. Broadcast in 1981. It's not that, no, is it? No. no. It's, it's a it's a Twitter uh, rival. Uh, sure. um, from uh, Meta, which is a company that owns Facebook. So okay. it's not a Mark Zuckerberg. Well, let's thing. hope hope that it's not as much hate or transphobia. So far, so good, Terry. Platform. So that's far, good. so good. Well, that's yeah. good to know. That's can, good to know. Can, can you use it on a Commodore 64, though? Why would you want to? Just to There are people that like a bit of vintage, you know. Yeah. I like a bit of vintage. Lisa Scott. So I don't miss Lisa the days Scott. of watching an image chug down the screen at a line a minute. Now, there's a new programme coming out about, about a chap who repairs old computers. I don't mm. know if you've seen it trailed. I'm not sure what station it's on. But there is going to be a chap who fixes old Commodores, mm. old Sinclairs. Wow. All, the, oh. all that kind of stuff oh, from the 1980s. Right. So you be in your yes. element, Andrew. I think it's still around. In Bristol, we have a retro gaming um, place. We do, yes. Yeah, we do. Um, Wonderful. Where you can go and... Oh, um, yes, I've yes, seen that. Yes. Yes. I, think, I, 